Oh, I am on. Yay, good morning. We, I just want to acknowledge Dan real quick, who's joining us up here this morning. One rehearsal. He sounds terrible, doesn't he? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> good morning. How are you guys? Good. It's good to see you. Good to see all of you. I'm so glad you're here. Have you gotten your donuts yet? Yes. Donuts? Donuts out there? A donut man came? But he just barely showed up. <laughs> so if you leave, we're going to lock the door, and you'll be stuck out there with donuts. For some of you, that may improve the service. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good to be here with all of you guys today. Thank you for your, uh, for your, uh, just your presence. Your singing is just encouraging today. And thank you for you guys. You guys sound amazing. It's so a joy to see you guys up here. And um, so I know, Jesse, you have some announcements. So um, Jesse's going to come up and talk about announcements. And then after that, I'm going to kind of get us started on what we're talking about in the sermon today. Good morning. I'm just going to yell. Oh, yay. Uh, good morning. We have lots of announcements today, so I hope you're ready to hear them all from me. Isn't it adorable? It goes up, down, up. Yeah, just, just, just down. No. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's apparent. I know. Uh, so if you could click on our announcement slides so they could. Good Friday. On Friday, we are having a Good Friday service here at the church. Uh, Pastor Brian, and I don't know if you guys know Louie, um, have been talking and they're putting together a special uh, service this Friday. And we are not going to have children's things. Children's are going to stay in the uh, service, but we are little ones. We have the nursery will be available. So everyone will hopefully be there. It's a really moving, it's a very moving service. So you're invited. I hope you come. The Easter egg hunt. We're having an Easter egg hunt on Saturday. Um, woo woo is right. Thank you for bringing back your eggs. I appreciate it greatly. That's less I have to do. But we have like so many plans for the Easter egg hunt. We have an art corner. We have, we're feeding people donuts because that's what we do here. Um, that's a theme in our lives, uh, in our church life. But you guys, we are needing humans to be here to just talk to the families that come, to help them point a direction of where their little kid's uh, hunt is going to be because we, we blocked it off by ages. So there's a sign-up sheet back there. It's a very small time commitment if you want one of those. Uh, so come talk to me or to Lynn after <laughs> mom. It's weird calling her Lynn <laughs> after the service, and we'll get you in a good spot where you want to be. Next one, our accessible egg hunt. Uh, we're doing something brand new this year. I'm super excited about it. Uh, we are transforming this room into an accessible Easter egg hunt path, path hunt um, for our friends with special needs. We're going to have a tattoo spot for removable tattoos, not real ones. Easter Bunny will be hanging out here. We're going to have a ring toss. Again, to bring joy to the community, we need humans to help. So, again, another small time commitment. Small time commitment, but big outcome, big joy bringing. Again, if you have any questions, Jesse or Beth. Last one, church, <laughs> church, Easter. Um, we have Easter invitations. If you guys have anyone on your hearts you want to invite to Easter next week, we have these beautiful invitations. They will be in the back. Grab one, grab two, give them out like candy. It is up to you. But yeah, those, those are our announcements today. Yay. All right. Thank you, Jesse. Um, so we are continuing on in, um, in Ephesians, and we're continuing to look at what does it mean to be saved by grace. 
And uh, this is going to be, how do I put this? You're going to need to use your noggin a little bit today because it's, it's a little deep. I've, uh, you know, I, I had a great conversation with Joe on, on Thursday, Thursday on our, on our podcast. It really just helped me kind of think this through. And <laughs> I got a headache this week trying to put this, figure out how to say what I'm trying to get out of the text. And it, that was so helpful to me just, oh, simplify it a little bit. So, But it even simplified, it's still going to be, you're going to have to think a little bit. Um, and it all has to do with uh, trusting more in the grace and mercy of God than you, even your right response to the gospel. Because if we trust more in ourselves, it really just in the end crushes your soul. Because you really, it depends on you not God's goodness and God's love for you, right? Not that you need to not, of course you need to have a right response to the gospel. That's not the point, okay? But that's kind of where we're going today. I want to bring, I want to bring a, a freedom and a joy to your walk with Jesus today, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this service. Help us to stop whatever it is we're doing. Um, thank you, you brought the people you've brought here and, and we get to celebrate that you, um, you are the king of heaven and earth, that you, you are lowly and meek, and you meet us where we're at, that on this day is the day that you, you rode into, into Jerusalem on a donkey as, as the crowd shouted, Hosanna. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you. Help us in this day to just set aside what's going on in our lives and hear from you. Whether this is the very first time we've ever you, you've ever encountered us, whether it's online or here in the, the building, or it's people who, who've known you forever, and and or, or you're, you're 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 just young in your faith. Lord, help help us to hear your voice. Thank you, Father. I. I long for a healthy relationship with you, as we all do. And I say that because we tend to put up barriers. We put our own human frailty and project them on to who you are. We just don't understand you, but never take away that longing to be close to you, to remove our human constraints, our our cultural understandings or assumptions uh, and instead to to just revert back to the clay that that can be molded by you father and father is um, as we're singing this morning I, I long for all of your people to be filled with the joy of that relationship with you that there is a smile in their song and their voices thank you father amen please stand Take a seat and let's pray. Father, it's, it's, it's so easy for us to think about when given a gift, what have we done to deserve it? 
And it's really hard when the answer is nothing. I, Lord, I pray that we find peace in recognizing that we are gaining from his reward in spite of ourselves. Help us to find that peace. And in that peace, to hear your word, to be transformed, and specifically this morning, that we find ourselves in a place spiritually, mentally, a calm where we can receive your word. Thank you, Father. Once again, Father, help. Holy Spirit, please help. Help me speak clearly and um, help us to, to, to understand what you've done for us and what you're doing. Holy Spirit, expose our, um, our thinking. Soften our hearts that we might be willing to hear what you have to say. Thank you that you, you will be here, Jesus. Thank you that you are at work, Holy Spirit. That, Father, you've designed and, 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 and destined every single person who is here in this room or who will end up hearing this online either now or in the future, that, that you've brought us there, here to this moment. Thank you, you've brought me. Help. Even at this moment, help again. Because we need to hear from you. In Christ's name. One of the questions that um, sometimes uh, that comes up is why, why don't Christians act more like Christians, right? And uh, part of that is, is this, this is, is I think a fundamental misunderstanding of, of the gospel, even if I may really be harsh a little bit among Christians. And uh, it's not a new thing. It's not an American thing. It's a human thing. It's even something Paul dealt with. It's that sense that we really have to be somehow good people to be a Christian. Well, um, today is going to help deal with that. In the end, as I said, it started, started earlier. I want, I, I want you to be... Uh, I, w I want you to have freedom in your faith. I want you to have joy in your faith. In your faith. I want you to have peace. Um, and that ultimately has to come through trusting in his actions, in his grace, more than trusting your own. Which, whether or not we know it, we usually do. All of us. It's something we have to constantly work against. This is our second part in the salvation by grace. And as I, as, I, as, I, as I talked about last week, and, and if you haven't heard last week's, go back and listen to it again, um, but I'm going to do a little bit of a summary right here, and I said we're, we're dealing with really verses 1 through about 10 or 11, right in that area, um, and it's it really a single sentence, and the sentence is basically this, that we are dead, and verses 1 through 3 explains what that means, but, verses 4 and 5, but God made us alive... And he does so because he loves us, because of his grace, because of his kindness. That's the basic sentence. 
that God is the subject of these verses. The verb of the sentence is making us alive, of making alive us, and we are we're called what's called the direct object. We're the ones that's being acted upon in these verses 1 through 10. God is the actor. The action is bringing dead people alive and, and the subject, the, 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 I mean the, 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 the object, what is being acted upon by the main actor in the, in the sentence is you and I who are dead. That's the basic sentence. Let me read the first couple of, first couple of verses. And as we read through here, here, one of the questions I want you to just think as we read through this a little slowly is what do we do here? This is talking about all, is this, is, is this not all humanity? Yes. What do we bring? What is this saying about our will? What is this saying about our lifestyle? Think about that. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which... You once all walked. It's a lifestyle. It's an all that's an all-encompassing statement. Even today, we understand what that means. That that how do you what, what's your walk of life? How, your attitudes, your habits, your, your how do you spend your free time? It's all of who you are. And we're following the course of the world, like everybody else in the world. And I, it, it's the sense of just the the, the, the area that that sphere that's not heaven. Cultures, human culture, which is following the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan. And it's not necessarily a direct, direct import, a direct connection, cause and effect. It's more like Satan is walking, oh, like if you can imagine, on a, on a beach, and there's footprints on the beach, and the world as a general is stepping in the same footprints, and so are we. We, we just, there's a, there, there, there's a pattern of life. And that, that, that same spirit, that same type of a spirit that's, that's in the general world, that, that is in, 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 in Satan, is generally in human beings as well, which is disobedience to God. Among whom we all live. All of us. This is Paul, including himself. In the passions of our flesh, emotions, desires, will, carrying out the, the desires of the body and your head. And by nature, which means exactly what we think by it, nature, what's your nature? How you're built at your DNA level, children of wrath, like everybody else. What does this say about human beings generally? I summarized it something like this, that we all have a lifestyle of living in step with the evil world of culture, which is also along with Satan. Disobedience, the, the, the first rebel, right? And what we've done is we've exchanged God for, for idols. We break his laws. We don't do right. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not some people who are better than others. Of course there are. That's not what we're talking about. It's about perfection versus the normal human experience. And all of this means is, is, is that we as a human beings are bent 
towards doing sinful things. Even in good actions, because a lot of times what we're doing is we're, look at me, I'm doing something good. And I even went so far as to say that, that, that our will is really enslaved to sin. As Jesus, I didn't quote it, put it in the first year, but Jesus said anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Or as, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8, anyone who lives according to the flesh has set their minds on the things of the flesh. The body, this, this life. But those who live according to the spirit, things of the spirit. So he's, putting two, he's contrasting two. But then listen to what it says here. For the mind who is set on the flesh is death. Oh, dead in your trespasses and sins. You see how they're connecting? But the mind that's set on the spirit is life. Not death, but life. And peace. And then he continues. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. Hostile. What does that say about the will of a, of a human, just a general human being outside of Jesus. In fact, it does not submit to God. It cannot. It cannot please God. See, that's what we bring to the table. Outside of Jesus, we need to come to the grips that that's the case. And so, you know, what do we bring to salvation? These first four verses extremely dark, and we really want to gloss over them. It's like, it's not as bad as it seems. No, it really actually is. <laughs> and it's meant to make you squirm a little bit. That we bring nothing but demerit and worthy of condemnation. I, I said that so fast last week, but let me, let me, let me make sure I, you understand what I mean. Demerit, not merit, in that... I've earned some kind of favor with God, but it's worse than that. It's demerit, the opposite of merit. And it's not that we're not just not worthy of God's grace. We're actually worthy of the opposite. Afterwards, Joe had this illustration of, uh, uh, of trying to be rescued when you were drowning. And, and I, here's, here's, it's not just that we're not we're, we're, not, we're trying to drown on the shore and going, God, save us. No, no, we're actually actively trying to drown. We're trying to do what's wrong. You, you, this, is what I, this is what Paul is saying. We're trying to go the wrong way. That's our will. Whether it's in Romans, whether it's in here, where we're talking in Romans 1, this is humanity. But on, on the flip side of that is that we're saved by grace. See, th th there's the turn. But we're saved by his actions alone. And there's so many verses that talk about this. It's all over the place. This is the gospel. For example, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I want to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that, I'm, but that which comes through faith in Jesus, through Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Two choices. My righteousness, my act based on my actions, or, or the actions based on 
his, my righteousness based on his. It is the, 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 the technical theological world, word is an alien righteousness. It's not from you. And he's Paul saying, I want not mine, but his righteousness. Or, or, or as Paul will put it in Romans chapter 5, Christ's one act of righteousness brings right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Christ's actions, not ours. Or as he says in Galatians chapter 2, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus, not by obeying the law. Not through their actions, but through faith in Jesus. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith. Not because we've obeyed the law. He's saying it twice to really make sure you get it. Why? Because no one will ever be made right. It's not, it's not like it's hard to. It's not possible to be right by, by, by human obedience. It's not possible. Or as Paul will say it here in Ephesians, by grace you've been saved through faith. So you have these two sides. You have on one hand we're trying to drown. On the other side we are saved by his actions alone. And it's the alone that's the problem. See, this is what I'm, I want us to, to, to take a moment and really try and grasp. And just pray for yourselves again to get this. Because while, while on one hand it's really deep, the, the, the practical implications for how you express your, your faith is deep. It's the problem of the alone. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. This is the confession of the church. At least the Protestant church. It's the alone part. And it creates questions that even Paul had to deal with. See, what Paul is doing in the Romans is he's pushing this so far, this legal metaphor, that you just can't do it. And it's entirely based on Jesus' actions that he has to ask, ask at the end of chapter, excuse me, the beginning of chapter 6, what should we say then? And he doesn't, doesn't ask the question, well, don't we have to make progress? No, he goes even further. He, make, he makes the most out, difficult objection possible to what he's been saying. It's not, do I have to get better? It's no, why don't I just keep sinning? And if, you, if you're not understanding of grace alone, doesn't bring us to you to this question, I would ask you to rethink it. Because clearly Paul thinks that, that what he's been saying in chapters 3, 4, and 5 brings them a person to, to this question. Why, why not? If I was sleeping around before I came to faith, why not just keep going? If, if grace is going to keep going, why not? That's a hard question. Or another way of putting it is, why do anything? This is the problem. 
Why do anything? Why make any progress? Shouldn't we do something as Christians once we come to our faith in Jesus? And we, I mean, what, what do we do with, with, what do we do with the commands? I mean, there's clearly commands in Scripture, right? You could, I, I could point out all of, all of them, including in Romans. In chapter 12, he says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, let us present our bodies as living sacrifice. Why? Why, why the commands? Why must we do something if on one hand, salvation by grace alone through faith alone says it has nothing to do with your actions, why should I not do something? And part of the, the, the cries, in our, especially in our current day, is cheap grace. Cheap grace. Which, if, which comes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the cost of discipleship, who wrote that in about 1935. And I want to suggest we have misunderstood what Dietrich was trying to say, what Bonhoeffer was trying to say. Because one of the dangers... Of, 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 of thinking we must do something in the end, it's going to void actually salvation by grace. It actually doesn't make grace cheap. It cheapens grace if we have to add something. I'll explain in a minute. We're stuck on this, this question. And there's two different ways we tend to respond to this. One, which is typically the way we look at it, is we think we have kind of this paradigm of something like a ladder. That what grace means is that he meets us wherever we are on the ladder from, from the most heinous sinner to the top of the ladder being perfection, right? What we think of is that God meets us where we are, at the, wherever on the ladder is, he infuses us with power to start climbing up the ladder, and then wherever we get to, on that ladder, when we die, he just brings us back up to the top. But there's a couple of problems with that. Again, why climb? If you're already going to get to the top anyhow, why climb? Why put in the effort? See, and that's what Paul is getting at. And we say things like cheap grace. But, but, but let, let, let's think about this for a moment. Let's think of grace as like a, 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 ch a chunk of gold. You're you need to buy a car, and buying the car is the equivalent of getting to heaven, right? So grace is gold, buying the car is heaven. If we say that we must do things after receiving grace... What we're, that is the equivalent of going to buy a car and saying, I have this gold nugget to buy the car. And the salesman says, well, that's nice, but you got to do something else in addition to that. In other words, the gold isn't enough. It cheapens it. On the other hand, the other, other side is to say, the salesman says, oh, you have that? You have more than enough to, get to buy the car. You can buy a couple of cars with it. Saying that Receiving grace uh, isn't enough. You have to make sure you have to do works with it of some kind, even if it's just going to church, praying, reading your Bible, giving to the church, whatever it is. You're cheapening grace because it's not enough. 
And more than that, ultimately, it means you're not saved by grace. You're saved by works. Because if you don't do these things, if you don't actually get better as a Christian, then where is your trust in? It's in that you have gotten better. There's your trust. It's not trust in grace. Ultimately, it voids the whole thing. Because it can't really be, I mean, the problem can't be God. It has to be somehow in your response. That's, the pro, that's where the fault is. God never is, can never be wrong. So I must not be doing something right, and therefore, ultimately, I'm trusting in my actions. That's not saved by grace. That's saved by what you do. And so there's a whole problem with saying, with, with saved by grace alone means you've got to do something. We still are stuck with the question. Well, but there are commands in Scripture after we've come to faith where Paul is saying, put on Christ, obey him, walk in like Jesus. What do I do with that? And I'm hoping I'm not belaboring the point, but I really want you to get the issue. And these two frameworks, and there's, there's two frameworks. One is what's, what, I, what I'm calling the latter one, but there's another one that we see in the text today. That's not a ladder. It's a new creation one. And it's subtle, it's, it, it, it's, it's easy to overlook. It's very easy to overlook. And not notice that Paul's switching here. And he switches in Romans too. In Romans, he's talking about this, this latter idea of needing to per work up to perfection to the, the glory of God. And it, once he's pushing it so far that not only can you not climb up the ladder, but you actually actively try to climb down the ladder. And he's like, oh, but, but you're saved not by your climbing up and down the ladder, but you're saved entirely by God's grace. And then he asks the question, well, why didn't we even climb? Why not keep climbing down if he's going to get you up anyhow? And then what he makes is this shift. And if we say here, Let's, read, let's read, read the shift in Paul, in Romans, and we'll see it in, in, in Ephesians 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin? Obviously, that, that can't be the case. We have to, somehow we have to be different, right? Because if we, but, if, but he's saying, but if we sin, God, God's going to, his grace is going to abound. But what's the next verse? By no means. Why? How can we died to sin still live in it do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death so do you, are you hearing the metaphor so far we but more than that we were buried with him it, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He switches to a death life metaphor. A new creation metaphor. He abandons the legal way of thinking it, the latter, and says that, that whole way of looking at whether I'm better or, or not, that, that's not the way to look at it. You've got you to let that go. It's helpful to bring it to the point of saying it has to be totally by his, by his actions. But once you get that, you need to switch metaphors to death and life in, in resurrection. So much as we, uh, uh, as Christians, so fixate on the death of Christ, which is beautiful. But 
The resurrection is a huge piece. In fact, some um, scholars argue that's even a bigger emphasis in the New Testament than his death, and we totally miss it. We need to focus on the, 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 where the resurrection is incredibly significant. He switches to the death life. He changes it to this, to this being transformed. As he says here in 2 Corinthians, and we are being transformed into his image. It's this creation thing. Right? Or as he says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is Christ, he's a new creation. Where does that figure into your thinking with the latter? It doesn't. You have to change metaphors. That God is cre creating you. We are new creations. Hey, it, it, it's, it's this one that we, we're going to see. What's this one? Oh, behold, the old has come. Okay, that's the same, thing, same verse here. Or what he said that this beautiful one that he says to Nicodemus. Jesus says to Nicodemus in, in, in chapter 3 of, of, of John. This whole born again thing. Don't you know you have to be born again? Because in Adam, the original creation is Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. But you need to be a new creation. God needs to recreate you. And the only way that's going to happen is if you're born a second time. You have to be reborn. God has to recreate you again. That's the only way it works. And this, Paul's not getting this out of nowhere. Jesus isn't getting this out of nowhere. Ezekiel 36, where God says, I will give you, his people, a new heart and a new spirit. He's recreating that spirit. He's recreating the heart. And I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. Or as Getting back to our text, as Paul will end up saying in verse 10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We're being recreated. We need to have that metaphor. And, 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 and this death life thing, so many times we want to think of that as a metaphor or maybe an illustration, put to death the, the deeds in the body, which... Yeah, we get that, but we really just think that's an image, kind of a, a, a way of thinking about it. No, but, but Paul isn't talking about metaphors here. He's talking about realities. You really have died with Christ and God's raising you up. It's just happening a little at a time. We want to be recreated like that, but that's not what he's doing. It's a slow process of being transformed. God's working us. He's creating us to be like his son. Now, to be Sure, there will come a day where he will finish the thing. He will go so far as he's going to come in his life. But at some point, he's going to say, I'm just going to be finished with the whole process right now. Okay? That's when Jesus comes. Or we go to him. But at this point, he's, he, you are his clay that he's molding to look like Jesus. I want you to grasp that legal framework. Because what it does is it pushes you to the point of going... I really am saved apart from what I do. I really am fully saved from what 
apart from what I do. If I keep on sinning, because I, on one sense, that's okay, but in another sense, of course it's not. Will grace meet you? Certainly. But as Paul was, is, goes on to say, but that's not how it's supposed to work. It's not how it's going to work, in fact. We need to live instead under the new creation framework. Because this is the framework that God uses, that Paul uses, to talk about life post-coming to, to faith. Not the legal framework. He uses this new creation one. Another way of saying it is, as, as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, the letter, that is the law, its job is to, tell, to make sure you know you're dead. You can't climb the ladder to get you to the point of going, it has to be by someone's actions but mine. It kills so that the spirit can give life to you. Or as he puts it here, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us, makes us alive. We are being acted upon. Together with Christ, you are saved by grace. God is recreating you. He's creating a new person. Cooperate with him. He's putting new desires in your heart. He's putting new uh, will to do something. As you'll say in Philippians, God's working in you to will, want, and to act to actually make it happen. God's doing that in you. Now, yes, work out your salvation. Because why? Because this is God's in you. Why do anything? On one hand, you don't need to do anything. But you want to, don't you? That's God changing your heart. Don't trust in it, though. Don't trust in it at all. Give thanks to God that God's working in you. He's recreating you. Trust in his love. Trust in his love more than, more than your own, even your own response, even your, your own growth as a Christian. Ultimately, that, that's the whole point, is don't trust that. Don't trust it. Even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy and kindness, made you alive to because of his that, in the end, no matter what you do or say, is the only sure foundation. Anything else will crush your spirit. Why aren't I better? Why have I not been saved? Or in danger of just voiding the whole thing by you trying to mix your work with his work. No, 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 no. It's his work. Rest in it. Rest in it. Have joy that is... It ultimately really doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on, on my actions. Praise be to God for that. Because there's no way I would have made it on my own. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you're recreating us. Thank you that you're, <laughs> you're changing our hearts from wanting to climb down the ladder to wanting to go up the ladder. 
Thank you that you're molding me, you're forming me to be in the image of your son. I so want to be like you, Jesus. And it grieves my heart. Thank you that you've put in my heart that I'm grieved when I'm not like you, like you Jesus. Do that more. Do it, do it, do it more. Make a miracle in our hearts. Because that's what it takes, Jesus, for us to be different. Be a mir- make a miracle out of us. But let us, Lord, Lord Jesus, never, ever, 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 ever trust in our actions as the foundation of our relationship with you. That ultimately it gets down to you and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as you're able. be seated briefly. One of the, 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 the freedoms of, of, of recognizing that it's completely not based on me, but God's own grace and righteousness is gives you the freedom that it's okay to confess. It's okay to be broken because I'm not finished. But I tell people this, that it doesn't matter how much you sin, no matter how far you've gone, how big the sin is, how frequent the sin is, if you come and ask for mercy, you got it. For me this week is I got angry. Why? I was inconvenienced. I wanted to do one thing, but someone wanted me to do something else, and it's like, but I wanted to do the other thing. Unreasonable. Shouldn't have been angry. I did, I got angry because I didn't get what I wanted. God covers that sin. He covers that sin. That and all the other ones I've done this week. That's why I come to the table to remind ourselves that every day, every week, we need God's grace. We can never get past this. And so we come to the table. We bring our sin, our demerit, and our unworthiness um, are worthy only for, for, for this. Which, by the way, if this day, if you come here and you go, but I'm such a sinner. If you got that little voice in your head saying, I'm such a sinner. You, what you tell it is you're like, oh, thank you for reminding me that I, in fact, need Jesus. Because that's all it does. Oh, yeah, I need Jesus. Thank you. But if you're not a sinner, you don't need Jesus. But if you are one, at that day, you have that little, oh, but I, but I did this. Oh, good. Thank you for reminding me I need Jesus today. And so we come to the table, and we remember and ask God to meet us here. As we come to the table and we, we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he says, this is my body given for you. He went to the, to the, uh, to the cross, and there, all of our sins repeated sin, big sin, all of our brokenness was laid on Jesus, that he was crushed for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. 
all of that wrath, all of those disobedience was laid upon Jesus. Uh, same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Pour it out for the forgiveness of your sins. The new agreement, contract between you and God based on the actions of my son. You will be righteous. You will be holy. I will make you to be what you long to be, what I want you to be too, just like me. Praise be to Jesus. Praise be to the Father who gave us this gift. So come to the table. Get the elements. We'll share at the end. But before you do, take a moment and confess your sins to God. Come and take a moment. What is it that God comes to say? Even if that sin is, I've been trusting in my actions, not your grace. And he'll say, come home, child. with me and I would encourage you to, to yourself pray this like this along with me Lord you know all of my sin and I agree with you that it's not okay thank you for your forgiveness in Jesus Change me to be different. I'm trusting in your mercy alone because of Jesus. The body and blood of Christ given for you. Father, in the peace of this moment, I just pray that all of your people, not just here, not just online, but all of your people, gain some inkling of how great your love is for us, what it's like to be loved in spite of what we've done and who we are. the grace and peace of God be with you today, tomorrow, and the rest of the life, even into eternity. Thank you for coming today for this meal.